Good morning, church. Let me get this mic closer. Good morning, church. It's a joy to, to gather together this morning and to learn from God's word. Uh, please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we are going to focus on that last section in chapter 1, verse 24, all the way to verse 29. Colossians chapter 1. And it reads as follows. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I've, I've labeled my message this morning the mandate of the church, the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And I'll be launching from, from verse 28. Look with me at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In verse 29, Paul uh, stresses again this point. He says, for this I toil. So in other words, if you'd ask the Apostle Paul, what is the one thing that you're working hard for? The Apostle Paul would say, it is to proclaim him. It is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. If you ask the Apostle Paul, what are your efforts directed at? His answer would be the proclamation of Jesus Christ. If you ask the Apostle Paul, why are you toiling hard? What are you toiling hard for? It is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. The proclamation of Jesus Christ is the apostolic mandate. In 1 John chapter 1, it says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This passage says, We have seen Jesus, we have heard his teaching, and now we proclaim him to you. Listen to the words of the Great Commission, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
says, I behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Now, brothers and sisters, we, we know the context of Colossians. In this church, there were those who were saying, yes, we do accept Jesus Christ. We do accept him. Uh, he's important. You need him for salvation. But for the full experience of Christianity, you must add something else. There are some who are saying, well, uh, Jesus Christ is one of these steps in the Christian faith. You see, if you want this full, rich, full of experience of the Christian life, yes, put your trust in Him, but don't just stop there. You see, they, they were saying, if you want a full of rich, rewarding, satisfying experience of God, Listen, you need to engage in mystical worship. You need to observe certain rituals. You need to make your body suffer. You need to pursue visions and the worship of angels. And this is why Paul writes to this church. And he warns them of the, the danger of this teaching. In, in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, and going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus Christ. Now, there were two issues here facing the Colossians. <clears throat> there were two issues that the Christians were challenged with. There was an attack on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, and there was also an attack on the superiority of Jesus Christ. Now, what is Paul's solution to this challenge? When, when the world says, yes, we do accept Jesus Christ, but you need this other extra thing. When the world says you need to supplement to Jesus Christ with a particular mystical experience. When the world says there is this other dimension that you need to unlock. What does the Apostle Paul say? How does he respond to this attack? He says, stand firm on the mandate of the church, which is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, Him we proclaim. Now, what does this mean? Proclaim, what does this mean? It means to declare, to announce, it means to, to celebrate, to make a public statement. It means to make known. It means to make a decisive announcement. You see, to proclaim means to herald a message. In simple terms, it means to preach, to teach, to declare. See, brothers and sisters, Paul says, my mission and the mission of the church must be the declaration of Jesus Christ to a world trapped in sin. See, the mandate of the church is to announce Jesus to the world. The mandate of the church is to make a public declaration that Jesus is a savior. The mandate of the church is to celebrate the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. It is to publish the good news of salvation, to publish a banner that says to the world, here, here, 
good news, good news for sinners, the salvation for the lost. It is to make known the salvation that is found in Jesus. It is to declare the blessings that are found in Jesus. <clears throat> you see, to proclaim is to declare. It's, it's not to suggest as if we are doubtful of the power of Jesus Christ. It is not to propose him as if he's one of the options. It is not to beg as if Jesus were needy. But we are called to confidently proclaim Jesus Christ because he is Christ, the life, the only life that is truly life, the giver of life and the forgiver of sins. Now, brothers and sisters, I want us to see five convictions that will help us to faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ so that sinners would be saved and believers would come to maturity. What are these five convictions? The first one is we must know the subject of our proclamation. We must know the subject of our proclamation. Look at, look with me there, verse 28. Him we proclaim, Him we proclaim. The pronoun Him in this text is referring to Jesus Christ. See, Paul summarized his ministry in one way, Him. Not Christ plus, but Christ as the only focus. Christ alone, Him and no one else, Him, full stop. See, for Paul, all other topics had to fit in around Jesus Christ to promote him, to exalt him, to elevate him, and to make him clearer. Paul's singular focus was Christ himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Him we proclaim, know the subject of our proclamation. Well, what does this mean, really? What does this mean, really, to proclaim Jesus Christ? Well, in most theology books, uh, they talk about two categories, that the proclamation of Jesus Christ is to teach about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, in, in other words, we need to preach about the identity of Jesus Christ and the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to add a third item here. We are also called to preach about the commands of Jesus Christ. You see, to fully proclaim Jesus Christ to the world is to teach people about the person of Jesus Christ the works of Jesus Christ and the commands of Jesus Christ. And this is the formula that you find in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. As we go making disciples of all nations, Jesus calls us, he says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, Jesus is the subject of our proclamation. We need to know who he is. We need to know what he has done, and we need to know what he has commanded. This is what it means to preach Jesus Christ. 
Well, Paul does not just give instructions, but he also gives examples of how you preach Jesus Christ. So please look with me there in your Bibles in Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 2. As Paul teaches about Jesus Christ in verse 2, he shows that Jesus is the believer's representative because all believers are in Christ. In verse 4, he shows that he is the object of the believer's faith because all true believers put their faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. He shows that Jesus is the king of the redeemed because God has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love. In verse 13, it tells us that he is God's beloved son. In verse 14, Paul tells us that Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Look there in verse 15, Paul tells us that Jesus is God made manifest. In verse 15, he tells us that he is supreme over all creation. Look at verse 16. He tells us he is the creator of all things. Verse 16 again. He tells us that Jesus Christ is the goal of all creation. Paul continues to expound the person, the work, and the accomplishment of Jesus Christ in verse 17 by telling us that he is the uncreated creator. He tells us again in verse 17, he is the sustainer of all things. Look, brethren, verse 18, he is the leader and the captain of the church. He is the triumphant king, the conqueror of death. He is the preeminent one in verse 18. Verse 19, he is the very God of very God. Look at verse 20. Paul tells the believers that Jesus Christ is the supreme reconciler. In verse 20, he says, Jesus Christ died for sinners. Verse 20, he is the provider of peace. And verse 21, Paul, as if he has not said enough about Jesus Christ, he says he is a sufficient savior. Brothers and sisters, here we proclaim. This is the subject of our proclamation, Jesus Christ. There is no Christianity without Christ. There is no church apart from Christ. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus must be the beginning, the center, and the end of everything we do in the church. Jesus must be foremost in our lives. He must be foremost in our church. He must be front and center of all that we do. Listen to how uh, an ancient document in the church, a 1,500 year old document called the Apostles' Creed, it puts it this way. It starts with these words, I believe. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he is sitting on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come to judge the living and the dead. This is what we believe about Jesus, and this is what we proclaim about Jesus. Now, do you know Jesus? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Do you know Him as the Apostle Paul has been showing us in Colossians? Do you know Him as He's revealed in the Scripture? Do you know Him as Lord and Savior? Friends, Jesus says this about Himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Meaning, without Him, you have no life. He says, I am the light of the world. Meaning, without Him, you are in the dark. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Meaning, without Him, you are lost, you are in falsehood, and you are heading for destruction. And my call to you is, turn away from other hopes and trust in Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim. Now, if you are saved, do you realize the amount of privilege and responsibility we have. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 speaks about believers this way it says we are ambassadors of Christ. We have been saved to make Christ known. Our task is to herald the gospel. How do we do this? This brings us to our second conviction. We are going to faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ so that sinners will be saved and believers would come to maturity. We must not only know the subject, but we must know the method of proclaiming our Savior. So let's look together at our second point, the method of our proclamation. Still in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that you may present everyone mature in Christ. Underscore these two words, warning and teaching. Warning and teaching. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul is advocating for a balanced approach in the presentation of Jesus Christ. We are called to warn and teach. We are called to warn people of the dangers of neglecting Jesus Christ and teach people about the grace and mercy that is found in Jesus Christ. We are called to warn people about the punishment and the consequences of sin while holding up the mercies and forgiveness that are found in Jesus Christ. We must be firm about the realities of hell while extending the offer of grace and heaven to those who repent. Warning and teaching. The proclamation of Jesus Christ must not be accompanied by hesitation and countless apologies. The Bible commands us to confront the world with the pure truth of Jesus Christ. We are called to warn and teach. This is the method of our proclamation. 
It requires boldness and conviction. Warn and teach. Teach and warn. You see, we are called to teach that Jesus is the believer's representative. And we are called to warn those who stand before God without him will be crushed by the righteous wrath of God. We are called to teach that Jesus is the object of the believer's faith. And we are called to warn those who will stand before God apart from Jesus as the mediator that they will be facing the righteous wrath of God. See, we are called to teach that Jesus is the King of the redeemed. And we are called to warn that those who don't submit to his authority are under enslavement. We are called to teach that Jesus is the triumphant King and conqueror of death and warn that those outside of him have no life. See, we are called to teach that Jesus is the preeminent one and warn people to forsake all attempts of self-elevation. You see, this is the method of our proclamation. Warn and teach. Teach and warn. But we don't stop here. Look at the rest of the verse. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. How? With all wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. You see, brothers and sisters, this means that we don't merely present abstract ideas about Jesus Christ, but we also show how it applies to everyday life. We must present Jesus in a balanced way. We preach both teaching and practice, doctrine and duty, knowledge and wisdom. We challenge and call people to respond appropriately to what they learn about Jesus Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We must preach Jesus who divested himself of the insignia of his eternal glory and came as a man in order to die on the cross for me and you. We must challenge people to follow the example of Jesus Christ and pursue humility in all things. We must teach Jesus who laid his life for the church and call husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We must preach Jesus who submitted himself to the authority of his father and call wives to be Christ-like in their submission to their husbands. We must preach Jesus who has obedient to his father and call children to submit with joy to their parents. We must preach Jesus, the almighty king, the very God of very God who humbled himself and rebuked people about the sin of pride. Warn and teach. Warning and teaching. Teaching and warning with all wisdom. Now, when you hear the word preach, do you apply it? Or do you think of someone else who should have been here to listen to the message? Assess 
yourself this morning. As a church, our mandate is to proclaim Jesus Christ, the subject of the church. And we are not only left there, but we are also given the method of our proclamation, warning and teaching with all wisdom. Are you hearing to the warnings? The constant warnings that you hear from the word of God. Are you listening to those warnings? Brothers and sisters, are you listening to the warning of God as the word of God convicts you about your sin and challenges you about your sin? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to say, God is correct, God is right about this and I must turn away from my sin? Or are you stiff-necked? Are you, are, you, are you one who will stand before God and say, my way, not your way. I'll do what I want to do. I don't think you are wise. Or are you willing to say, Lord, your way warns and teaches, and I want to be obedient to your way to assess yourself this morning. This takes us to our next point, the scope of our proclamation. The scope of our proclamation. Friends, this is also called the Missio Dei or the mission of God. We are still on verse 28. Look there, verse 28. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Underscore there the word everyone. Underscore there the word everyone. See, Paul is hinting at what he said in verse 24 to verse 27. And, uh, let's read together verse 24 to verse 27. Please look in your Bible. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you, to make the way of God fully known. Now, pay attention to these words. To make the word of God fully known. You see, there was a teaching that was concealed and it is referred to as a mystery. And look at verse 26. It tells us that this mystery was here for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, here's, here's the idea. The idea here is that this, this special message that appeared in glimpses, it appeared in incomplete forms. You see, it was not fully disclosed, but now it must be preached to everyone. Well, what is this message? Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, let's put all of this together. 
Here's the big idea. The gospel must be preached to the Gentiles. The gospel is available for all. You see, Gentiles were outcasts and they were not considered among the people of God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Then this is this Old Testament prophecy speaking about what God was intending to do with the Gentiles, what God was intending to do with the scope of salvation, with extending salvation to the nations, with extending the salvation not just to to stick with the Israelites, but to encompass all peoples, all ethnicities, all nations. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, And I will sow her as my own in the land, and I will have compassion on no compassion. I will say to those called not my people, that you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. You see, one of the promises that God made to Abraham when God called Abraham was that he would bless other nations through him. And was that he will be his God. See, God promised Abraham that I will be your God and I will bless other nations through you. And we see this prophecy coming into fruition with Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul now speaks to these people who are facing this attack on the sufficiency and the superiority of Jesus Christ. He says, let me take you back to the Old Testament and show you how God intended his salvation to be complete in Jesus Christ. In the dawning of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles will be brought in and they will have complete salvation and be on equal footing with the Gentiles. And perhaps there were some in the church coming from a non-Jewish background thinking, maybe because we are Gentiles, we need a second dose of the medication to be right with God. And Paul picks up this doctrine and gives full assurance that in Christ, salvation is complete. Verse 27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the scope of our proclamation. You see, Paul is saying here that Gentiles, listen to this, your salvation is guaranteed all the way to eternity. If you have Christ, you have complete salvation. However separated from God you might have been, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And this is the scope of our proclamation. You see, we are not we are not a club of good people. The church is not a society of nice, upstanding citizens. The church exists to present the news of forgiveness, the gospel of forgiveness to sinners. And so however estranged you might be to God and however uh, undeserving you might feel, 
however sinful you might feel and however far apart from God's people you might feel I want to proclaim to you this morning that the scope of our proclamation covers you as well there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ there's forgiveness in Jesus do you believe this? do you, do you believe this? now let's observe our fourth point the purpose of our proclamation. The purpose of our proclamation. Brothers and sisters, I was, <laughs> I was really honest when I said, I'm going to launch from verse 28. Look at verse 28. Here we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Listen to this purpose of our proclamation that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal of our proclamation is to present to Christ mature Christians. See, this, this means the way to maturity is through growing in the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, and the commands of Jesus Christ. You see, yes, yes, our scope reaches you, but we don't want you to stay as you are. See, we, we don't want adolescent Christians. We don't want immature Christians. We don't want uh, undeveloping believers. We don't want challenged Christians. We want you to grow. This is our desire, and this is God's desire that you grow you'd mature in the faith. Now, what does Christian maturity look like? See, mature Christians have an unquenchable desire to know more of Christ and His way. We were doing our memory verse now, Philippians chapter 3, this time, that I may know Him. Mature Christians have an unquenchable desire to know more of Christ and His way. Mature Christians are discerning. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, the mature know how to distinguish good from evil. The mature are growing in their discernment. Mature Christians put others first. Mature Christians love to serve. Mature Christians persevere and they, they work hard to preserve the unity of the church. You see, mature Christians are not grumblers. Mature Christians encourage others. Mature Christians are humble. Mature Christians love wholeheartedly. Mature Christians are sacrificial. And uh, according to sisters, mature Christians have small toes. <laughs> See, they're not easily offended. You, you, you cannot easily step on their toes. What kind of church would we be if, if everyone pursued this goal? Uh, brethren, uh, there's few of us here, but imagine if every one of us pursued 
is his goal. Imagine if when we left here, Jesus Christ was the subject of our lives. Everything centered around him. Imagine if we, we had such passion to proclaim Jesus Christ and teach and warn people with all wisdom. What kind of church would we be? Imagine if we prioritized growth, we prioritized maturity. Imagine if the first thing we thought about in our calendar was how do we put the, the things of God first. Imagine if God was not just incidental in our calendars, in our lives. You know, we, we, slot, we slot the things of the Lord because I've got nothing else to do. Imagine if you prioritized God in your life, what difference you'd be making to those around you. The Apostle Paul responds to people who are under attack. They are being told to move away from Christ and he says to them, stick with Christ. You don't need anything more. Christ is sufficient for all that you need to live a life of godliness and a life that pleases God. The way to maturity is through growing in the knowledge of the person, the word and the commands of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be strong against every wind of doctrine? Do you want to be strong against human cunning, uh, the, the deceit that comes from false teachers, the craftiness that comes from the world? Do you want to be strong and do you want to be protected against that? Heed the warning, the teaching, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, let's look at the priority of our proclamation. The priority of our proclamation. See, apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are doomed for eternity in hell. Unless you are convinced about this truth, you can never make any sacrifices for the gospel. Let me say that again. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are doomed for eternity in hell. And unless you understand the seriousness of this statement, you can never make any sacrifices for the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul understood this clearly. I want you to be fired up for Jesus. I want you to be, to be fired up for, for the gospel. I want you to speak like the Apostle Paul, the way he speaks in verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So let's take that first part. For this I toil. The Apostle Paul says that he toils to present people mature in Christ and he, he toils to do that by teaching them about the person, the work, and the accomplishments, and the commands of Jesus Christ. And why does he do that? Because he's convinced that without Christ, people are facing eternity without God. They are doomed for eternity without God. 
And, 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 and Paul is, is, is willing to make these sacrifices because he understands the priority of the gospel proclamation. He understands the priority of proclaiming Jesus. You see, Paul's language is, is so brutally compelling. He says he toils. Now, this word was used to, to describe someone who had the, the kind of tiredness that came from athletic uh, competitions or, or coming from a fight. You know, this is someone who was, who was so tired and bruised and couldn't even lift his arm because they were, they were so invested in some athletic activity or they just came from a wrestling match or from, from a fight. All of their strength has been spent on that activity. See, here's the big idea. If you are convinced that apart from the gospel there is eternal hell, then you must be prepared to make sacrifices to proclaim him and disciple his followers into maturity. See, Paul was prepared to suffer, even in his body. That's what he says in, in verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. See, what Paul means here is that he was willing to suffer for Christ and he was prepared to continue suffering for the sake of proclaiming Christ. Well, things look different for us today. Uh, I'm sure none of us would suffer to this extent physically. But are you willing to be considered strange because you proclaim Jesus Christ? Are you, are you willing to have uh, your peers call you weird because you believe, you believe in Jesus Christ? I mean, isn't it 2022? Do you believe in, in miracles? Do you believe in the resurrection? <laughs> Aren't you a doctor? Are you willing to be sidelined by your family because you will not partake in ancestral worship? Are you prepared to lose some friends, even old-time friends, because their influence on you is ungodly? Are you willing to take some time out of your week to disciple new Christians? Are you prepared to move your schedule around to make time for fellowship? with believers? Are you willing to serve others in the church? You see, if the gospel is a priority in your life, then your actions will show that the gospel is important to you. You will make sacrifices for it. And, and brothers and sisters, you know, we are not pulling by our own strength. Look at this hope that Apostle Paul speaks about. He says here, he, he reminds us here that you're not alone. He says the strength that he works within you. And, and the, the, Jesus promises that even, even in, in the Great Commission, he says, I will be with you always. If you make a commitment to follow me and proclaim me, 
you will not be alone. Yes, you will have challenges. Yes, you'll have to make sacrifices, but you are assured of my presence and you are assured of my strength as you do this task. For this I try, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Jesus will give us all that we need to serve him. Brothers and sisters, these are the convictions that will help us to faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ so that sinners would be saved and believers would come to maturity. We must know the subject of our proclamation the method of our proclamation, the scope of our proclamation, the purpose of our proclamation, and the priority of our proclamation. Father, we thank you for the way you ask to help us to gather the time of Christ, to constantly see all the issues that are found in him, and his sufficient for us, is enough and is supreme. Please, Lord, help us from any lie that would tempt us to look elsewhere. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.